0: The reading of the scriptures from Genesis chapter 2, reading verses 4 to 17. I invite uh, you here in reverence and in faith, uh, the ancient words, but still yet living from Genesis 2. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon, It is the one which flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which flows around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and to keep it, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Statements of uh, creation in the previous chapter with uh, greater detail uh, respecting uh, the creation of and uh, life uh, with Adam and Eve. Uh, that was a convention of uh, literature of uh, the times in which Moses uh, wrote. that would be a great sweeping summary statements and then detail. Uh, I say that because oftentimes uh, modern day uh, people criticize the scriptures uh, with nonsense like, uh, well, there was uh, someone contributing and helping Moses in writing, and so we impose our conventions of literature uh, upon the literature of uh, the age of, of Moses. Uh, just, to, just to remind each of us, we, uh, we should uh, let the conventions come from the age in which the authors uh, write. But more importantly, uh, it is the soteriological or salvific Uh, as well as eschatological implications of the creation that should capture uh, our imagination uh, because of uh, all that it means. So we're reading here about a historical event. We're also reading about current events uh, and, of course, uh, future events uh, about the blessings of God both now and in eternity. Uh, So the sovereignty of God creates uh, the first man and blesses him in a garden. Uh, with uh, duties to keep that garden, uh, as well as warnings of failure. Uh, We uh, we begin with the sovereignty of God uh, in the restoration. Uh, Text uh, as a display of uh, God's work forming and filling the creation in light of Genesis 1.1. It was without form and void and it was dark. Uh, Now God is going to form it and He's going to fill it. Great, great uh, creative uh, works of God, uh, filling His creation by His Word. It is, uh, for me, a very beautiful application uh, for life because uh, we all know people, and sometimes true of us, we engage in behavior that uh, works chaos and ruin and brings darkness. God is still able to transform and change Many of us have uh, sons and daughters that are uh, not warm to the faith. And uh, we've said all that we can say, and uh, we are oftentimes uh, rebuffed. God can change. So we entreat uh, the great God of heaven who can uh, transform and change uh, by his sovereign power. A great reminder that should inform our prayer life. Uh, as well as our actions uh, in display of our confidence in our sovereign Lord. Uh, In verse 7, we see the sovereignty of God in the physical and spiritual creation of man. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. It's kind of incredible. Uh, Forms with dust and then creates out of the dust uh, life. Uh, Supremacy of God. Uh, Nobody nobody, uh, can do this. The creation of life Uh, does not need to study engineering or physics or medicine. Doesn't need to go to a supply house uh, to order supplies. Uh, Just simply uh, his sovereign will uh, to impose that will and to create life. Now, the text also is an important reminder to us because it expands on the identity of God. Because it includes a new name for God. Uh, previously, God created the Hebrew word Elohim. It's in the plural form. Not because there's many gods. Uh, Hebrew convention is the plural of Majesty. When something was supreme and majestic, they would put it in the plural form. and certainly God is supreme, and certainly God is totally, utterly majestic uh, in His uh, works. But here uh, we read Yahweh Elohim, uh, speaking uh, to the personal relationships uh, and covenantal God. It's a personal God. Great reminder. Because that's exactly the God that's going to form uh, Adam and breathe uh, into his nostrils the breath of life. Uh, that is, uh, if you know the Savior, Christ, He is a personal God to you. Uh, not far removed in a way. He is that, but He is also imminent in your daily life. Because He's personal to you. He's a God of personal relationships and covenants. Uh, The verb formed from the dust of the ground is a verb of personal engagement in creation. Uh, We find it uh, interestingly in uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5 in God's relationship with the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, The context is very, very instructive because he's going to anoint Jeremiah to be a prophet and then send him on a ministry that is utterly terrifying to the prophet. Namely, affect the destruction of the nation because of their judgment. Uh, it's going to deeply sadden Him. What's going to hold Him in such times? Uh, who God is. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God at work before the birth of the prophet. Forming and knowing. Uh, the verb know is an intense, personal relationship with a prophet. If you know the Son, it's the same with you. He formed you and knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Reminder uh, of the majesty of God. But more importantly, the imminence of God in the lives and the ministry and the purpose uh, of His uh, sons and daughters. Uh, the uh, participial form of this verb is a verb for potter. One of the great dominant, uh, if you will, motifs in the Old Testament. In display of the sovereignty of God is the potter clay. I mean you can imagine, you can see it. There's this clay, and the potter gets it and he forms it, however, he wishes to form it is in total control of what he forms and fashions. Isaiah 43.1 But now thus says the Lord your Creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name, and you are mine. God's ability to transform the nation from the Babylonian captivity. They were in, of course, gloom and doom because of their idolatry, but nonetheless, gloom and doom, and God says, I can form you when I want to and bring you back, transform you. 459, uh, woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. An earthenware vessel among the vessels of the earth will the clay say to the potter, What are you doing? Or the thing you are making, say, has no hands. Our reminder is Christians uh, that God's making and forming of us is uh, by His will. And of course, more importantly, is purposeful. Uh, he creates us and forms us for purpose. Uh, more importantly, as you know, it's used of the sovereignty of God in salvation. Let's turn to uh, Romans chapter 9. Many say a very difficult verse, but it's just simply an expression of the sovereignty of God uh, over the creation of life in his sons and daughters and respecting those who are not his sons and daughters as well. Because God is sovereign over the both. Romans chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. On the contrary, who are you, O oh man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? That's our God. Uh, if you know the Savior, that's the God who formed you. Uh, It's a display of God's ability to rescue and restore His covenantal people from the ruin of the fallen judgment. For us in particular, it's uh, the fact that uh, in Christ, uh, He is our past, present, and future. Because of who He is. uh, The potter. So the Lord God forms Adam and then breathes into him the breath of life. And Adam became a living being. Uh, the form is lifeless. God gives it life. He makes the inanimate live. Only God can do that. It's unique uh, to uh, God. Uh, and the application that he is utterly solitary in this perfection. Now more critically, uh, the ability to uh, applies to our doctrine of salvation. We were spiritually dead. Ephesians chapter 2. We were as lifeless as Adam was a lump of clay. And Paul says in Ephesians 2, and he made us alive. Solitary subject. He made us alive. If you will, he breathed into our souls the spirit of life. It's an Old Testament text. It is uh, uh, beautiful in the illustration of this. If you have your Old Testaments, if you would turn to Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven, uh, you know this uh, immediately as. Uh, The vision of the dry bones. Dry bones mean what? (laughs) Somebody's dead. Uh, There is death everywhere. A lot of dry bones, there's a lot of death. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, Son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on those slain that they come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Again, it's a reference to the return of Israel from Babylon, but it foreshadows a greater resurrection. Notice the interplay of the words breath, and God breathed on Adam the breath of life. Something's dead and God wants it to live. He simply breathes upon it. Uh, The analog in the Greek is uh, breath, but it can also be translated spirit. Isaiah 37, verses 12 and 13. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord that have opened your graves and caused you cut to come out of your graves, my people. This imagery is picked up in New Testament, Gospel of John. Remember John chapter eleven. Jesus has a dear friend who who dies. Jesus knew he was going to die. He's the sovereign, omniscient Lord. Oh Lord, if only you had known. <laughs> if only you'd have known you'd have come quicker. No, you, you just didn't open our email. Our Lord wasn't worried at all. He knew what he's going to do. Didn't have to tarry. He, oh, he, he comes and stands before the grave and says, what? Lazarus, come forth. Notice the command. It doesn't say, please, please, Lazarus. I know it's a dark day, and uh, we just hope that maybe you're just ill and the physicians were incorrect. He's dead. He's been dead for several days. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus obeys. Because he breathes into him the breath of life. By the way, that is a remarkable picture of your own salvation. You were dead. He made you alive. First uh, Thessalonians four sixteen. Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, trumpet of God, and the death in Christ shall rise. The hope of the Christian. Uh, because of the fall, we're gonna all of us in this room, barring the coming of Christ, are gonna die. Uh, sin is gonna, uh, gonna see to the corruption of our bodies, not our souls. We know the Savior that belongs to Christ. He will rescue our, our souls. The body goes to the grave until he comes, and then he will resurrect it. How will He resurrect it? How can that be? He will simply command. And life will come. It's the hope of the Christian. Uh, God is able to reconstitute, and recover us spiritually, and then uh, physically because of the majesty of His power. This uh, uh, creation account uh, from Ezekiel is used of... Uh, the Apostolic Ministry, the Gospel of John. we we'll turn to John chapter 20. Uh, some say this is uh, John's uh, great commission. Um, it certainly is a great commission, but uh, disciples are um, in a room and... Uh, Savior comes, peace be with you. As uh, as the Father sent me, I also sent you. Purposeful, notice the purposeful notice. And then verse twenty-two. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, "Receive the Holy Spirit." Again, interplay of words. Uh, word for spirit is word can be translated breath. Spirit's going to give him life so that they will go and uh, be His witnesses uh, before the created world of His day. But by the way, that, that purposefulness is passes to us as a church, the a Great Commission. We, we can't create life, but the Spirit can. We have the charge simply to transmit the Gospel. God wills to raise uh, men and women and boys and girls up by His sovereign power As the potter has right over the clay, he will do so. Uh, When we pray for our loved ones that are lost, uh, we are praying for uh, such a one to do just that. And we can hope in him and leave it in his hands uh, because he is the sovereign. John 6.63 Jesus says, the words that I speak are spirit and life. It's the reason we give attention to the scriptures. They're the word of God and they create life. In verses 8 to 14, uh, the sovereignty of God uh, provisions a garden for Adam. It's very interesting in the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament. Um, word for garden can also be translated paradise. Beautiful reminder paradise. Adam was in a paradise. Uh, Eden has beauty and precious stones and metals, has rivers and trees, pleasing to the sight and good for food. Every provision is there. Homonym for Eden is pleasure and delight. Adam had incredible pleasure and delight, and every provision, to be sure. Uh, it's very interesting that in uh, verse 15 of chapter 2 of Genesis. Uh, The Lord God took the man and put him. The word put is literally cause to rest. Last Sunday we studied rest. God rested on the seventh day. God gives to us spiritual rest in Christ. And God will give us eternal rest in the heavenlies. So the Garden of Eden was full of pleasure and delights and rest for Adam. Adam. In uh, doctrine of salvation, there is uh, numerous hints of this garden imagery throughout the New Testament. First, uh, pardon me, John chapter fifteen, verse one: "I am the vine; you're the branches." Vines grow in gardens, not all the time, but grow in gardens. It's a garden imagery, very hint, uh, maybe a shadowy echo that. In the vine, there's life. First uh, Corinthians chapter three, verses six to seven. Paul Paul alludes to, I think, a measure of this when he says, "I planted. Planted what? Apollos watered. Watered what? The garden. God was causing the growth." So we engage uh, in watching over uh, the work of God. Just this Adam is given a charge. Uh, So then Paul says, neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. That we can rest in the sovereignty of God. Because he causes the growth. And the sovereignty of God, verses 15 to 17, has a purpose for Adam that includes... A duty and a warning of failure. Uh, the attribute of God—it's uh, not necessarily an attribute, but uh, certainly can be used of one. The sovereignty of God implies responsibility. Uh, again, look at uh, Genesis chapter two, verse fifteen. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. That was his duty cultivate it and to keep it now, these two words in the New Te- pardon me the Old Testament are oftentimes used of the charge given to the priests they were to cultivate and to keep Israel in the word the inference that I'm suggesting to you here is that Adam was a priest and the garden sanctuary was a temple. And he was to cultivate it and to keep it. Uh, The priest represented God to serve and to protect the sanctuary. Very important to preserve and to protect the sanctuary in light of what you and I know is going to occur in chapter 3 and verse 1. The priests were to teach the word so that the people were to keep the commandments. Uh, the Greek analog is used in this way too. First uh, Timothy chapter uh, uh, six and verse 20, uh, Paul tells Timothy, uh, "Keep the traditions that were given to you. Guard the traditions that were given to you. It's a duty that really falls to each of us. Uh, he doesn't give us any right to change the traditions. Uh, Namely, the Word of God, of course. So, we're to keep it, and uh, to cultivate it, to guard it. Uh, It's also important, I think, um, that in salvation, God is our keeper and protector. Because He's the Creator. Uh, And He enables us to keep His Word. Let's turn back, or pardon me, forward again to uh, Ezekiel uh, chapter 36. Reminder of the great uh, benefit as well as duty that falls to us as uh, Christians uh, affected by the power of God. Ezekiel 36. Uh, if you will, New Covenant, New Testament language respecting uh, God working. Verses 26 and 27. I'd like you to pay particular attention to the subject. It's solitary. Moreover, I will give to you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes that you may be careful to observe My ordinances." So when God truly saves someone, over time and in degree, He affects the causative reality of that related uh, to the keeping of His Word. The absence, of course, uh, of which uh, may indicate that God was never present. Beautiful picture of this, uh, respecting our Saviour. High priestly prayer. John uh, chapter seventeen, and verse twelve. Uh, our Lord is uh, knows that His uh, time of His departure is uh, imminent, and uh, He's as, as He should be uh, profoundly uh, moved uh, to pray. And in John chapter 17, uh, in verse 12, we read, While I was with them, I was keeping them. Identifying Christ as the last Adam. We know, tragically, the first Adam is going to fail. He raises up a corporate Adam in the nation of Israel. They fail. And so God the Father, in His provisions of His grace, raises up in His Son the Lord Jesus Christ, the last Adam. And He's going to keep. He, he keeps everyone that the Father has given to Him, except for one that He never intended to keep. While I was with them, I was keeping them in thy name, which thou gavest to me, and I guarded them. He's watching over His own garden, keeping and guarding it. And not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, the Scriptures might be fulfilled. I'm not excusing Judas and his incredible breach of disloyalty. Think of the reality that God never intended to keep him. Had him present for a very specific duty to betray, to betray the Savior. Of whom the writers of the scripture say better than that man that he'd never been born. Kind of a terrifying reality of the sovereignty of God, but a beautiful reality of our, our keeping and guarding, watching over by the Great Spirit, that which God has entrusted to us. I understand that's a very difficult theology. It's not mine. It's simple. Read the Scriptures. Hear the prayers of our Saviour. Critical for us to realize that we are priests too and we're to protect the sanctuary to keep His Word. Uh, As you all know, I have this conviction for which I hope that I'm totally incorrect. That false words have entered the church. and uh, Elders who are charged to keep the Scriptures to protect the church have not done so. And so false words come in and receive a home. Sweeping people away. We have a responsibility to do that. Uh, And God gives to us a duty uh, to guard and to keep. uh, Because it's His garden. It's His sanctuary. It's our duty to keep and to to guard it. Uh, In all of this uh, abundance of uh, the divine provision, Adam has but About one limit. Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. We have uh, limits for us as well, don't we? We have incredible freedom as Christians. But there are limits. Be very careful about those limits. We're to keep those limits and do His Word as evidence that we are His priests. Very interesting here, He uh, cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Occasionally uh, I come across someone that will say, so I didn't. I, this happened to me a lot in the army. Well, I just had to go sow a few evil oats. No, you didn't have to do that, because it brings incredible chaos and confusion into your life. That's a wrong way to go. You don't have to experience evil as a Christian. Keep and guard your heart from it. Don't give your heart to it. Uh, Because it's destructive of the heart. Genesis 1.1 Something terrible has happened to the beauty of the creation. Rebellion of Satan. So the earth is without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Our hope is is that God can recreate. And God can transform. And God can fill. Uh, Principal agent for that and Uh, The times in which we live is the church. Church is to keep and to guard and to fill the earth with the majesty of the gospel. So you don't need to know evil. The sovereignty of God will affect a greater restoration as a reminder of the blessings of those who serve and keep His word. It doesn't cause their salvation. It's evidence of. Greater escalation of our redemption is in eternity where redeemed humanity is restored to a garden in full communion uh, with the presence of God without any future threats of failure. It's a great reminder. Uh, the purpose for which God created us has formed and fashioned us as believers. Uh, Revelation uh, chapter 2. Uh, in verse 7, is a beautiful reminder of this. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Guess where you and I are going when we die? The paradise of God. It's the hope of the Christian. The paradise of God. He doesn't leave us to wander self-directed. He guides and leads us. Returning us home to the paradise of God. That's why we believe in persevering in the faith. Because the knowledge of God and the knowledge of the heavenly home that He has for us has a profound effect of keeping us to be faithful to the end. Greatest uh, travel directory of all time. Holy Scripture. Yeah, Turn with me, if you would, to Revelation 22, verses 1-3. to 3. Notice the garden imagery everywhere in this text. He showed to me a river, the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. And there shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God, of the Lamb, shall be in it, and His bondservants shall serve Him. That's our travel guide from the book of the Revelation. The paradise God. Notice, Notice very importantly though, There's reference there to some men and women that are confessional within the covenant community who are not doing that. Chapter 21, verse 27. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. One of the things that should guard our souls is the doctrine of election, the Lamb's Book of Life written before the foundation of the world. And the constancy of the prayer, God, God, you keep me by your grace and mercy and constancy. The uh, imagery captures the totality of the provisions of God uh, in eternal life and our ultimate uh, communion with uh, His majestic presence. Uh, Our reminder that uh, in Christ, that He is our past, present, and future. Lamb's Book of Life, present, the breath of the Spirit of God, future, ultimate, total, irrevocable, immutable restoration to the paradise of God. The first Adam's going to lose that. We'll see it tragically. The last Adam will recover it. Truly, he is our past, present, and future. The curse and its ruin are uh, forever vacated. Prophet Isaiah gives us uh, hints of this that we will enter and we will obtain, Isaiah 51, we will obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. Never to return. That's where I want to go. That's where we go in Christ. By His great Spirit. uh, The hope of the Gospel. If you're not a Christian, uh, that does not uh, speak to you and your destiny. Uh, Sorrow and sighing will not flee away. It will own you in an incredibly intense form that we cannot fully imagine. Hopefully, if you reckon with the truth of the Word of God, you will flee to the Savior uh, who can transform and change. The essence of the gospel, the one who gives his life a ransom, the one for the many. So our Creator will reconstitute us in a spiritual creation, reform us by His Spirit, return us to the glory of a greater Eden by word and sovereign grace. And it is through Christ, by Christ, and in Christ who truly is our past, present, and future.